0: Welcome to the Stuttgart Missional Community Church Sermon Podcast. SMCC is a multicultural church serving the English-speaking community in Stuttgart, Germany. For more information or to contact us, visit us on the web at smcchurch.net. That's smcchurch.net. So we're going to be in 2 Samuel today. And as if this is your first time here, we've been going through the Bible. And so far, this is what we've made it through, okay? This is the thin part. This is what we've made it through. This is what we have left to go. Uh, we're going through the entire Bible together. So we started in Genesis. Today, we end up in 2 Samuel. But in two years further, we'll be through the entire Bible. And as we go through the Bible, we're seeing how Scripture is pointing to the Lord of Lords and King of Kings, Jesus Christ, amen? All of Scripture, and we'll see that today as well as we talk about um, David and returning the ark to uh, the city of david and and just explore that a little further, that Jesus is Lord, and that the Bible is not just a collection of books it's not just it 's not just a collection of texts, but it is a story about Jesus, the entire Bible, not just the New Testament. So again, turn with me if you have your Bibles, open them up to second Samuel chapter six that's what we'll be working from today and uh before we get into the text, I want to just share a story with you, and maybe you can relate to the story. Have you ever thought you were doing something nice for someone, only to find out that you were doing exactly the opposite of what that person considers nice? Anyone? How many of you have tried to give me a hug, and you thought you were doing something nice, only to find out, I don't like hugs right? You think you're doing something like, I, 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 I love my pastor. I want to hug him. And I, I love that you love me and I love you too. I mean that from the bottom of my heart. But you say that you love me with a handshake or a fist bump or elbows or something, all right? I don't know what it is. It's creepy. I know it's weird. I grew up in an Italian family where my grandfather was always hugging me and loving me and kissing me right on the lips. Uh, and when he met Stacy for the first time, I'll never forget this man. He's like 70 years old. His kisses have gotten sloppier over the years, you know. And he just sees her and he grabs her and Mwah! gives her this big Italian wet kiss. That line, that song from that Be- that Bethel song, sloppy wet kiss, that's exactly what she got. And that was her introduction to my family. And, and, uh, you know, he thought he was being nice. He thought he was being loving and kind. And she, all he did is create this very awkward moment where my wife and I stood there, just kind of looking at him for a while. Uh, so, see, some of you are in those really affectionate families and you're like, that, so what? That's not weird. Yeah, it was weird for us, okay? But I also do that sometimes. You know, I'll try to do something nice for Stacy and miss the mark completely. Just a few weeks ago, I had acquired some hot dogs. Now that might not seem like a big deal to those of you who get to shop at the commissary every week, but good old American all beef hot dogs are hard to come by. And somehow I acquired some. Okay. And, uh, I thought, Oh, I'm going to surprise Stacy. Cause I know Stacy loves hot dogs. And, uh, yeah, uh, I made the hot dogs and I showed her, I'm like, oh yeah, we're going to have hot dogs and I made some fries and we're just going to eat this all-American fattening meal. I love when I go to the grocery store here in Germany and I go to the American section or they have American days and all it is is like super fattening, disgusting food for you, right? And Or it's huge, like has anybody ever seen the Americana cookies at the bakery? Now, those don't exist, just like German chocolate cake doesn't exist here, right? But these Americana cookies are just, the, they're cookies, but they're huge, like Americans, right? They're huge, and that, you just think, that's what they think of us. We're all fat and huge, and that's why they have this. Uh, but anyway, uh, so, and it's, it's true um, for some of us. For me, I'm just gonna speak for me before I find everybody in the room. Um, but anyway, I come home with these hot dogs. I get them. I'm like, oh, I can't wait to make these. I get them already. And, and, and Stacy's like, I really don't like hot dogs. I'm like, what? What? Every time we go to Sonic, she's getting a hot dog, right? Every time in, in the States we go to Sonic, she's getting hot dogs. Well, I, I, like, I like chili cheese dogs, I don't like hot dogs. And I'm thinking to myself, chili cheese dogs are hot dogs, right? That's what I'm thinking. But obviously they are not. She's nodding right now and rolling her eyes at me. They are not the same, right? And I found this out the hard way. And, you know, I thought I was doing something nice. It was small, but it was something nice and something special. And I was hurt because, you know, I I was trying to be, you know, really nice. And I was hurt on that front, but I was also hurt that after 23 years of marriage, I am just now figuring this out. It's like... You are an enigma, girl. I don't, I thought I knew you. I totally missed it. My good was definitely not good enough, right? I tried to do what was good, but it wasn't good enough. Now, today we're going to look at David, who had really good intentions, but really missed the mark. So look with me to 2 Samuel chapter 6, verse 2, and then we're going we're to read verses 2 through 8 to kind of introduce us to the text today. David arose and went with all the men, with all the people who were with him from uh, Baal-Judah to bring up from there the ark of God, which is called by the name of the Lord of hosts who sits enthroned on the cherubim. Verse 3, and they carried the ark of God on a new cart and brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill. And Uzzah and Ohio and the, the sons of Abinadab were driving the new cart with the ark of God and Ohio went before the ark. Verse 5 And David and all the house of Israel were making merry before the Lord with songs and lyres and harps and tambourines and castanets and cymbals. And they came to the threshing floor of Nakon, and Uzzah put out his hand to the ark of God and took hold of it, for the oxen had stumbled. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah, and God struck him down there because of his error. And he died there beside the ark of God. And David was angry because the Lord had burst forth against Uzzah. And the place, uh, that place is called Perez Uzzah to this very day. Here we have David who has been conquering and reclaiming and, and, and establishing Israel among the people. And the Philistines are just kind of these people. They're basically the equivalent of North Korea. Okay? They're just kind of poking holes all the time, you know, just bugging us, irritating us, kind of just making the whole world hate them, right? That's kind of what the Philistines are doing here. And they just keep pushing in on Israel's border. They keep doing these little covert attacks and <clears throat> and, and attacking Israel. And David's like purpose here is to push them back and put them in their place. And he does a very, very good job as the warrior king of Israel, pushing the Philistines back. Back And now they have taken back the city where the Philistines were hiding the ark. The ark of God, where the tablets are and where God has said, I will be. And on the, on the, you know, seated between the cherubim, that's the presence of God. And David wants to bring the ark back. He wants to bring it back to the city of David. And he has very good intentions. Very good and noble intentions. And God kind of just is, is like, okay, let's see how this goes, right? And so David goes and he does what he thinks is best and he, he gets a brand new cart and, and he gets a bunch of people and he goes and just, you know, loads up the ark and starts bringing it back. But God had laid out very specific rules on how the ark was to be handled, very specifically. And, and David doesn't follow these rules. Now, David does it either out of ignorance or out of rebellion, Or as I was kind of praying about this and studying this, I thought maybe there's even a third thing. Maybe he was just very familiar with God. Maybe he just started treating the holiness of God as something to be expected. He got very, very comfortable. Now, I'm not here to tell you today that we shouldn't be comfortable in the presence of God. I'm not here to say that we shouldn't be bold as we approach God. But we should also remember that God is holy. And we should approach him with reverence. No matter how many t-shirts say it, Jesus is not your homeboy. Hello? I hate that t-shirt. If you have that t-shirt, I'm sorry, I hate that t-shirt. You know, it's got Jesus and he's kind of like, Jesus is my homeboy. Jesus is not your homeboy. Jesus is the Lord of lords and king of kings. And, uh, and, and when we approach God, we should do so reverently, not flippantly. And perhaps David here is taking for granted his relationship with God. I want to tell you, as somebody who's served the Lord longer in his lifetime, than he has not served the Lord, right? I've been serving the Lord now for 25 years, and, you know, I was a non-Christian for about 20 years. So, um, you know, somebody who's been serving the Lord for a while now, I can tell you that this is a very easy trap to fall into. You know, you just get familiar with God. You, you get very familiar with the word. <clears throat> I've read through this entire book several times. I've studied it most of my adult life, not only for my own benefit, but to preach to others. And I can get very familiar with it. And I can start treating the holiness of God as something less than it ought to be in my life. And I can get very comfortable and approach God in a non-reverent way. And I can get up here and preach and just expect him to show up. And this was the conviction upon my heart this week. God, forgive me for just kind of throwing together a sermon and coming to preach without really praying about it, without really seeking the presence of God, without really inviting the Holy Spirit to step into my heart and preach the word of God through me. But treating the holy word of God as something flippant or some that God should just show up because, hey, I'm here, so shouldn't he show up? Maybe David was doing this a little bit. Maybe he just thought the best way I know how to do it is good enough for God. And sometimes we start feeling like that as Christians. Hey, God loves me. He's going to love me even if I mess this up. And while that may be true, we are still to do our best to please and honor God in everything we say and do. And we cannot please and honor God if we don't know him. And so if David was acting out of ignorance, it was no excuse for him to go retrieve the ark without first looking into God's specific instruction for retrieving it. So either he did it in, in ignorance or he did it in rebellion because he just didn't care or he was just arrogant and he was treat, treating the presence of God as something to be taken for granted. But I want to focus on the ignorant part for just one second because this is something I see a lot in the church today. Not ignorance to say that the people, people in the church are ignorant. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is there are a lot of books out there There are a lot of people with opinions, like everybody has an opinion and Facebook has just given everybody an avenue to share their opinion. But we've also bought into the lie that everybody cares about our opinion. It turns out nobody cares about your opinion as much as you do, right? I mean, you are the primary person who cares about your opinion. And people have taken liberty with God's word and they've added a lot to it. And they've, they've, uh, said things that shouldn't be said, they've, they've expanded on God's word in areas they shouldn't, and they present it as fact, when in truth it's not. And this is very, very dangerous. See, you cannot discern fact from fiction if you don't have truth. Now, we as Christians hold that God's word is truth, amen. God's word is true. It is 100% to be trusted. There's not a lie within it, and there's not a lie within it, a holy God. All he can do is tell the truth. By, the, by his very speaking, it is truth. And so his word will not deceive us. But if we don't know the word, if we don't know God's word, we don't know who he is, we cannot discern what, what is a lie out there, right? And so we pick up a book because it's in the Christian section at the PX, or maybe we're back home and we go to family Christian bookstores and we see a lot of books about a lot of different subjects. And certainly if there's a book written about it, it must be true. No, no. That's not the case. We must be discerning as Christians. And our litmus test for what is truth is God's word. Anything that goes beyond God's word is not to be trusted. Seriously. I mean, I, you know, I, I don't have a blog. I, don't have, I, I have no ambition to write a book. I, I just don't feel like I have anything to add to, to all of the books that are already out there to everything that's already out there. I don't think I need a blog to explain just my opinion further, right? It's just such a mess out there of information. But a lot of the information is not even based in fact. It's not even based in truth. So here's my challenge to you, Christian. Is your ignorance of God's word maybe leading you astray as you're picking up that Christian book that's supposed to help you raise your kids or help you experience more of the Holy Spirit or explain something else away, but it deviates from God's word. And you're buying into to that ignorance. Be discerning about the Christian books you read, be discerning about the media you consume because it's having an influence over your life. And just because somebody has a, an idea, because that's what sells books, something new. Well, the Bible's been around for like 2,000 years, man. There's not a whole lot new in here, right? Just get into the Word. Get into the Word so you can discern between truth. Because I, think, I see so many Christians acting in such a way as they think it's good and they think it's right, but they're, actri- they're acting actually contrary to God's Word because they read some book that told them this is how it's supposed to be. I would also say that David was consumed about with what he could do for God. He saw it as a great favor to God to bring the ark back. But I want to tell you that the Lord is, he, is, he wants us to be more passionate for him than what we can do for him. We are, our heart is to be for the Lord First. Not only what we can do for him. Oswald Chambers says one of the greatest hindrances to the Christian walk is busyness. We think pleasing God means we're busy for him. We think pleasing God means that that we are just constantly in something that is Christian all the time. I'm in a Christian softball league. My kids are in Christian basketball. I go to Bible study six times a week. You know, we think that this is the kind of activity that God wants, and it's not true. God wants us to be with him. He wants us to be in him not only what we can do for him. David's good was not good enough because he was doing it in his own strength and his own power and in his own wisdom. Church, God has given us his word. He has revealed himself to us. We wouldn't know anything about God if it wasn't for his word. Get to know God through his word and then you will know how to please him. Somebody said amen. Point number two, David while his intentions were right, he had a wife who was the daughter of Saul named Michael, and her intentions were not so pure. She was all about keeping up the appearances, keeping up what looks right and, you know, wearing the right clothes, doing the right things. And, and, and you know, we have these people in our lives we see them all around us, and maybe even some of us are like Michael. We're very concerned about how we are perceived by people. So look with me to verse 16, and let's see. As David is coming, after Yuza after was struck dead... David starts getting it right, and he realizes, I need Levites to carry the ark. I need, I need Levites to go in this procession. We need a big band. We need to worship the Lord every few steps. He's, he's sacrificing an animal. He is just honoring God and doing it exactly like it ought to be done, and he brings the ark out, and here he is now to enter the city of David, and there is his wife watching David bring in the ark. Verse 16, the ark of the Lord came into the city of David. Michael, the daughter of Saul, looked out of the window and saw David leaping and dancing before the Lord. And she despised him in her heart. See, David, who was probably wearing robes and a crown, had thrown those things off him. Now, David wasn't naked or he wasn't in his underoos or anything like that. David would just throw it off his priestly and kingly garb. And he just looked like anybody else, maybe wearing a tunic or whatever. And here he is dancing and celebrating as he brings in the ark. And Michael is like, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. This is not how a king should be acting. You know, how many of you have ever seen uh, The Crown on Netflix? You guys are watching that. Come on, don't be embarrassed. It's okay, guys. You can raise your hand. The crown is awesome. It's okay. Right? And you've watched it, and you've seen all these things that the royal court has to participate in, what they have to do, and just all these little rules and how hemmed in they are. And here's David, the king of Israel, and he's got all these rules, too. He's got all these ways he should act, but David doesn't even care. He is bringing the ark of God in back into Israel, back into the city of David, and he's going to be out front. This is a leader who led from the front. Amen. David led from the front. He's going to be out there. He's going to be shouting. He's going to be the one dancing the most. He's going to be the one that, that's got his hands up the most. He's he's the one who's going to be the most exuberant in worship. And this just makes Michael embarrassed because she was more interested in preserving her image and his image than she was in welcoming in the ark, the presence of God. Who? is directly responsible for her being queen and David being king. And David is very quick to remind her of this in verse 21. When he, Skip down with me when he says this. He says to Michael, It was before the Lord who chose me above your father and above his house to appoint me as prince over Israel, the people of the Lord. And I will make Mary before the Lord. I will make myself yet more contemptible than this, and I will be abased in your eyes. David says, you think you've seen worship? You haven't even seen it yet. Now, we have this discussion a lot. Because, you know, as an Assemblies of God church, one thing that the Assemblies of God is kind of known for is worship, right? We're known for worship, and we're known for missions. We love to worship the Lord, and we love to send the gospel around the world. That's kind of two big distinguishing marks. But, you know, everybody in our church is not from the assemblies of God, right? And so, you know, when people around you raise their hands, you get a little like, Ugh. or maybe even your pastor, he's got his hands. What, is, what kind of church am I in, right? Or somebody next to you swaying and bumps you. I want to tell you, you have really seen nothing, okay? <laughs> that is pretty laid, by all standards, like from what I am used to and what I've been around my entire Christian life, we are very mellow Worshiping church. But I just can't help, and this analogy is made all the time by many preachers, and I'm sure you've heard it before. You go to a football game, you go to a soccer game if that's what you're into. All right. If, if you go to, I've seen people at their kids' t ball games get more emotional about a, a base hit through the infield than they do about the Lord. And David is like, this isn't happening. And church, I I know what you're telling me. That's just not my personality. That's just not who I am. And I say to you, baloney. Baloney. That's not true. Because we all worship something. We all get excited about something. Something pushes your buttons. It just might not be Jesus. Now, I'm not saying we all have to act exactly the same. But I don't receive that. That's just not my personality. If you love Jesus... If you love the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and you fully understand exactly what Jesus has done for you, you can't help but get a little bit excited. Seriously. You know, I, I could never worship like this. This. Right? Number one, am I still the only military guy who remembers that this is completely disrespectful? Are you allowed to put your hands in your pockets when you're standing before your superior? No. Can you imagine standing before your commander like this? What do you want? What's up? I'm here. No way, right? You stand at attention until you hear uh, relax or at ease or whatever as you were, right? But we treat God kind of a little bit, you know, we're we're kind of getting a little bit too comfortable, right? Well, yeah. Or we don't believe he's he's here at all. Now, listen, I know Jesus is in the room. I feel him. Maybe you don't feel him. Maybe you don't, you know, know he's here. You know, I know he's here. You're here. I'm here. And if even if it was just me here, I know God would be here, all right? Because God no longer dwells in a temple. He no longer dwells in houses made of stone or wood, but he has made our heart his home. And when we come and we gather together, we have this concentrated presence of God. Hello? Amen? Because we've all, you know, not, maybe not all of us have come with that. But many of us have come with that. Many of us have come filled with the Holy Spirit. We come and we bring the presence of God with us and we celebrate together. And and we're gonna keep challenging you. And you can keep resisting, that's fine. You've got your own little thing going, that's fine. But one day God's gonna get a hold of you. And you're gonna raise the white flag and you're gonna worship And I want to tell you, it's the most freeing thing in the world. When you stop caring about what the person next to you thinks about how you worship the Lord, and you just let yourself worship. It is very, very freeing. Now, we've, many of us, especially, you know, have graduated high school many, many, many years ago. But some of those things stick with us. What do people think of us? This is the number one thing. What do people think of us? Am I fitting in? I want to, I don't want to stick out. And it's so funny because once one person or I, you know, if I sit in the back, well, I see a couple hands go up and then I'll see that person next to him. Oh, Okay, I'll raise my hand and, and, and I'll see it kind of move around or one person will start clapping and then, okay, now it's okay to clap. Everybody's clapping. I want to tell you, church, I am looking forward to the day we've been to church seven years when we can finally come to church, listen to me, and we can get beyond all that. And we can just come and we can just worship God freely, openly, enthusiastically, exuberantly as he is worthy to be worshipped. That we can just get beyond high school and we can just come and worship the Lord. We're not waiting for somebody to lead us in clapping. Right, But that we can just come and clap, that we can just come and shout, that we can just come and raise our hands and worship the Lord, not worrying about how foolish we might look or sound. I'm going to preach a little bit this morning, amen. I haven't done this in a while. David was more concerned about honoring and exalting God than he was about his own reputation, than he was about keeping the throne He was excited about the presence of God. Church, let's get excited about the presence of God. Let's get excited that God has not left us as orphans, but that he has made our heart his home. There is no anointing. There is no blessing. There is no move of God that you can experience here that you can't experience at home. There is no reason that the presence of God can't be in your living room, kitchen, dining room, as much as he is here in this very moment. We we constantly go back to that Old Testament model in our minds. God is in a certain place at a certain time and then we arrive and we meet with him but we have to get it in our head that we actually come and we bring him with us. And if we're not, then he's not here either. Do you get it? If we're not bringing the presence of God with us, what? Why, do you think God lives here in this rented building that used to be a call center four years ago? No, no, he's here because you're here, because we're here. When we get more concerned with looking the part than living the part, we are definitely in sin and falling short of God's promises for us. God is not concerned with you looking the part. He's concerned with you living the part. He's concerned with you living the part. Our passion naturally manifests itself in exuberant worship. When you get excited about something, it shows on your face. Some of us more than others, that's for sure. Like, you will always pretty much know how I feel about something because I am really, really bad at hiding disappointment or hiding that I'm excited about something. Like, I am definitely not the guy that should be negotiating for a car right? Because I see a car I like, and I see features that I like, and I'm like, oh man, oh man, I really like this car, and that deal, that salesman is just drooling, you know? Because I'm like, oh no, I gotta play cool, I gotta play cool. 18,000, man, 18,000, that's all I can do. And he's like, no, I'm not not budging. So I send my father-in-law, right? Stacy's dad. You know what I'm talking about. That dude can negotiate. I mean, seriously, he can negotiate. So I let him handle that, and I always get great deals on stuff. He gets great deals on stuff. Uh, Anyway, we can't hide what's written on our face. When we come and we're excited to worship God, it's natural to act out on that. It's unnatural to suppress it. I think a lot of you are working hard at suppressing it. I believe that a lot of you are saved. A lot of you are filled with the Holy Spirit. I believe that. I totally believe that. But you are working really hard to make sure nobody else knows it. I'm telling you, it's more work to do that than just to let it go and worship the Lord. Just give in to it. Isn't he good? Isn't he great? Hasn't he answered prayer? Hasn't he set you free? Hasn't he delivered you from sin, death, and the grave? Hasn't he done those things? Weren't you blind? Now you see. Weren't you lame? Now you can walk. Wasn't that you? Isn't that something to celebrate? Let your face know it. Let your hands know it. Let your feet know it. Jesus is Lord. In First Corinthians, Paul says this: We are fools for Christ's sake but you are wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are held in honor, but we in disrepute. What he's saying is, I don't care. You keep up appearances. I'm going to worship the Lord. I'm going to do things that seem stupid and silly to you. Things that are counterintuitive, but because God is with me, I can do all things. That's what Paul is saying. I'm not going to, I don't care what you think. I'm going to worship the Lord. I'm going to even do worse, crazier things. Let's be fools for Christ. Don't be concerned with keeping up appearances. Now, in 2 Samuel, as we move forward, 7, 1 and 2, and then we'll skip down to 16 as I close, but in verse 1 and 2, he says this. Now, the king lived in his house. has brought the ark back. He's back in his place, right? He's got a house. The ark is back there. It's in a tent. He's thinking to himself, I got to do something. So the king lived in his house, and the Lord had given him rest from all his surrounding enemies. Verse two, the king said to Nathan, the prophet, see how I dwell in house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells in a tent. Now for a time, we're going to skip all the way down to 16 in a moment here, but I want to encourage you this week to take part in our daily devotions online by visiting our website and clicking on devotions and walking through the rest of and filling all these blanks because it gets pretty awesome here. Here's David. He's in his house. You know, somebody's feeding him grapes. You know, it's, it's great. All right. He's being, he's a king. But the ark of God is out in some tent. And David's got it in his head, hey, I'm going to make a house for the presence of God. And God is, kind of pushes back a little bit on this idea. He's like, do I need a house? Haven't I been with you? Haven't I been with you in Egypt? Wasn't I with you across the Red Sea? Haven't I been with you against your enemies? You think I need a house? It's kind of what I'm summarizing here, okay? And I, I think, doesn't this kind of reveal the heart of God a little bit to us? That God, he, he has never desired to be confined into a little house. He has never desired to be in, a, in one little place where we have to go and we have to find him. He has always desired to be with us. And I want to tell you something that's amazing. That the God of the universe who created us from nothing, who created everything from nothing, decides that he wants fellowship with you and me. Isn't that crazy? Why would God want to hang out with me? Why would he want to hang out with you? He's God. Because he wants to. Because he wants to. And that's something pretty awesome. Now, God does agree to David's idea, he does say, okay, I'm going I'm I'm to have a house, but you are not going to be the one to build it. I'm going to let somebody else do that. Have you ever had some, a great idea or a great scheme that you've hatched? And maybe you've had the wisdom to go before the Lord and ask him about it and you don't have a piece about it and the answer that keeps coming back is wait. How many of you hate that? I don't like that. I don't like hearing wait. If you know me at all, I'm pretty driven. I like to get stuff done. I don't like to hear wait. And uh, I don't like to hear it from God anymore. I like to hear it from a superior, to be honest with you. I just want to kind of go, go, and go. And here the Lord is saying, wait, wait. And I just wonder, you know, David's got, he's used to fighting. He's used to being out there. He's used to getting it done, man. And now he's like, just, just Wait. Just sit there. Just be peaceful. Enjoy rest. And David's not satisfied with that. But David's call wasn't to build a house for the Lord. David's call was to establish Israel as a superpower in the world as it was known. He was there to establish the presence of Israel among their enemies. And that's exactly what he did. He was a warrior king. There was much blood spilt at the hands of David and his kingdom, even though that was ordained by God, it was not, it, his role was not to build the tabernacle or the, the house of God. It was not his role. He was going to establish Israel through military strength. And we as Christians may have it in our heart to do a lot of good in a faraway place While all the while God is calling us to do good exactly where we are. David's calling was to establish Israel. It was somebody else's calling to build the house of the Lord. We kind of get caught up sometimes in, in dreaming a little bit too much. Thinking about where we'd like to be and what we'll do once we get there. But God is calling us to faithfulness where we are. In a command we hate, with a boss we don't like, surrounded by idiots. God sometimes calls us to work with those people. I know, it doesn't seem fair, but that's the way it is sometimes. Sometimes we have great situations, and we want to stay there forever, but God sends us away somewhere else. This summer I'm reminded is that we say goodbye to so many families, some who love it here and some who can't wait to go home, that God is calling us all to certain places for certain purposes that may be beyond our understanding in the moment, but he has a plan for your life. Amen. And we need to be obedient to where, to be faithful where we are. Because God has called you to that command, to that job, to that place in your life that you find yourself right now for a very specific reason. And to doubt that and get angry with that and to be upset by that and patient with that is to not trust God. To say God has no part to play in where you are right now. Is that what you're saying? I don't think so. But we just don't think it all the way through when we're in our circumstances. We're not thinking about what it says to mistrust God, to not trust God. We think about just our circumstances and we start wallowing kind of in self-pity and loathing and we get lazy. I'll tell you one thing that hinders what God is doing here, at least in my life, is dreaming about what I might be doing somewhere else someday. And it just it removes me from the present and I can't be effective where I am. True followers of Christ are really more concerned with being obedient than they are with being great. We have ambition and God has given us that. God has given us a heart to do great things. But we don't do it for our glory and we don't do it so we can be known for doing something great. We do it out of obedience. That's the motivation of the Christian heart. Obedience. Not doing something great, but being obedient. And we can only demonstrate faithfulness as God recognizes it, where we are, not where we are not. Hello? We can't be faithful someplace we wish we were. We can only be faithful where we are. And don't you want to hear when Jesus returns, good, well done, good, and faithful servant. You know, Jesus may return before I get a chance to retire. And that's okay, Right? Because, you know, if Jesus comes back, I think I'll be retired, right? I, I'll, I'll enjoy my retirement. But, we, you know, you may never make it to retirement. Tomorrow's not guaranteed to any of us. But when we meet the Lord, I want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. And I only have the opportunity to demonstrate faithfulness here in Stuttgart, here in this church, here in this community, here with these friends, This is the only chance I have to demonstrate faithfulness. Take advantage of that. Be faithful where you are because you cannot be faithful where you are not. Jesus reminds us that obedience is the manifestation of our confession in his lordship. In Matthew 7, 21, he says this, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Think about that for a second. Not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Our faith manifests itself in obedience. If you believe Jesus is the Lord of lords and the King of kings, your only answer to his every command and wish is, yes. Yes, Lord. Yes. Period. No but. No, you don't understand God. No, you, you haven't experienced this God. The only answer that should come out of your mouth logically is yes. If he's Lord of Lords and King of Kings, is he, is he truly the Lord of Lords and King of Kings? Is he truly the master of the universe? Yes. If that is true, then everything he says is to be trusted and every command he gives you is to be answered with yes, Lord. Amen. Amen. Now, I'll agree with you that this is a much easier concept to speak than to live out. Because as soon as we confess that with our mouth, God is sure to engineer circumstances that will test that resolve. Amen. And will sharpen us and to where we will grow and be strengthened in that. That's what's going to happen. It goes without fail. Every single brand new believer in Christ, as soon as they are, they make a confession for the Lord, or as soon as they are baptized, I see they they are hit with something, maybe not immediately, maybe not the next day, but something enters into their life, whether it be the death of a loved one or, or a decision or their children or something comes up where that puts their faith to the test. And we have to endure, we have to be faithful, we have to be obedient, keep trusting the Lord. Now skip down with me to verse 16 of chapter 7. It says this, and your house, David's house, and your kingdom, David's kingdom, shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. Now, when I say the word forever, I always think of this guy in a movie that I love called The Sandlot, named Smalls. No, no, not Smalls. What's his name? The guy? Anyway, he just keeps talking, and he's got this scene where he's like, Forever right? And it's just like, it just like gets embedded in your head. And I, I th- every time I see that, I think of that forever. How long is forever? Forever. Is David talking about Solomon? I mean, is God talking about Solomon? No. Is he talking about who followed Solomon? No. He's talking here about Jesus. Jesus comes from the line of David. And here he's talking about establishing a kingdom Forever. Forever. And this is Jesus' kingdom, where He rules and He reigns. Jesus is the king of kings and Lord of Lords. I've said that many, many times today, and, I, 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 and on purpose, because we, we like to think of Jesus as weak, sometimes. We like to th- you know we, when we think of Jesus, we think of Jesus on the cross. We think of Jesus in a dress. Like, as he's portrayed all the time, it seems like Jesus is always wearing a dress. He has very feminine features. And we just see God as, like, this very soft, loving. And Jesus is love. And the love of Christ is demonstrated on the cross. Amen? 100%. The love of Jesus is demonstrated on the cross. But the justice and righteousness of God is going to be demonstrated in his return. Hello? And Jesus isn't coming back as the suffering servant. He's coming back as the Lord of lords and the King of kings. And this is something that should be understood because this is Jesus' ministry today. He's not sitting idly by, just waiting for some day that he's going to pop up in the clouds and that's it. He is, he is alive. Hello? He is alive and he is active today. And his kingdom will forever be established once and for all. We need to understand that. We need to understand that we have an inheritance in that. That we have a part to play in that. that this forever kingdom is our home. Hello? Do you get it? It's your home. It's not Texas. It's not Oklahoma. It's not New Jersey. It's definitely not Seattle, right? It's, it's, it's not a lot of places on the earth. His kingdom will be established on the earth, but it will be his kingdom in renewed heaven and renewed earth, and everything will be new. There'll be peace. Jesus will rule and reign as king. Not an imperfect king like David or his sons or the kings we have today. How many of you are glad that our political system will one day be finished? There will be no Democrat. There'll be no Republican. There'll be no Green Party or AFD. There'll be nothing of that. There'll be one king. There'll be one Lord. There'll be one party the Christian party, the Jesus party, all this fighting and bickering and corruption will be gone. And there'll be one Lord of Lords and King of Kings forever and ever and ever. (laughs) Amen. Church, I want to remind you that your good intentions are not enough. It's obedience. It's obedience to his word. It's not enough just to think you're doing good. It's not enough just to want to do good. And as I wrap this up, I want to just draw one little imperfect parallel here about a company called Tom Shoes. Tom Shoes had a one-for-one. Now, they've kind of faded away now. now. Some of you find their shoes very, very comfortable, and that's fine. If you like comfortable shoes that you don't have to tie, that's awesome. But if you're buying shoes because you think that you're helping somebody in Africa or South America, I, I I hate to burst your bubble, but Tom's is a perfect example of a company who thought, or at least is selling, the idea of something that they think is good, but actually is doing more harm than good. See, because when you give shoes away to a third world country, you put somebody who sells shoes in that country out of work, and you beca- you create. Now uh, I'm quoting largely an article here that I have from the Harvard. From a Harvard paper, but also from many studies regarding trying to do good outside or apart from good conventional wisdom and for us as Christians apart from the word of God, right? We think we could be doing good and Tom Shoes is kind of an illustration of that because what they've done is put people out of work, they decreased manufacturing in in those countries and kind of created a dependence because now these people can't get shoes unless we give them to them. That's the way it is. And as Christians, we go out and we try to do really good things. But we don't even take time to think about, is God in this at all? Is this something God would want? Am I just giving away something that's not going to benefit people but actually hurt them in the long run? Is that that what I'm doing? We need to ask those kinds of questions. And even though we may have good intentions, we need to make sure those intentions line up with the word of God and it's something that God wants us to be doing. And I want to tell you that as a church, as leadership, I don't believe that just putting shoes on people is enough. I don't believe on giving vaccines is just enough. I don't believe on even just giving food is just enough. We need to give food, yes. We need to give vaccines, yes. We need to send missionaries on the ground to countries that can minister within the context of that culture, yes. But we also need to be bringing the word of God to these people. It's not enough just to take care of their physical needs. We need to take care of their spiritual needs as well. And our good intentions need to be backed up. They need to be fortified with obedience to the word of God. I also want to remind us as we wrap up that Jesus is not nearly as concerned about what we can do for him as he is about who we are in him. And this is a reminder that we all need. That we, God is more concerned with who we are than what we can do for him. Because there's nothing really you can do for God that he can't do. Hello? Hello? The most valuable thing, fat, valuable thing you bring to the marketplace in, 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 in serving as a Christian is your relationship to him, period. If your relationship is a shambles, then you have nothing to bring somebody else, amen? It's, it's our the very basis of how God can use us is based and rooted in our relationship with him. And faithfulness to God is not measured by results, but rather by our obedience in spite of results. Take a moment to think about that. Faithfulness to God is not measured by results, but rather our obedience in spite of results. I think of missionaries who go to countries where they are literally plowing ground, where the gospel has never been preached. They may see one convert before their death. Many, many missionaries, missionaries in Indochina, missionaries in Mongolia, missionaries in North China, missionaries in uh, Muslim countries, missionaries in places where the gospel's never been preached. They go there and some of them give even give their lives on the field before they see one person converted, one person who gives their heart to Jesus. But after their death, seeds grow and nations are changed and in pe- and, and communities and villages, Christianity sprouts up and hope is given to these people. Will we be faithful even if we never see one result? Will we be faithful in our cubicle even if nobody seems to give their heart to the Lord? Will we be faithful on our team if nobody, if we're ridiculed for it, if we're, if we're, if we're left out, because of it? Will we be faithful in our workplace to make our faith known? I'm not saying you got to be that guy who walks around, John 3:16, right? You know, you, you don't have to be that guy. But just like hiding our praise and our worship, some of you are going through a lot of work to hide who you really are. And if you just let it manifest itself, you would see fruit. I promise you, you would see fruit. Because every time a seed falls to the ground and maybe the fruit around it rots and dies, that seed gets into the ground and it grows. It grows. Plant seeds. Be faithful, regardless of what you see as a win or a loss. Amen? We get so consumed with that. This is a win. This is a loss. This is not worth my time. We don't have a chance to succeed. God, thank you for the people who will go places where they have zero chance of success. Thank you for listening to the SMCC Sermon Podcast. Be sure to visit us on the web at smccchurch.net. That's smccchurch.net.